Hello and welcome to Front Page Radio with your host, international author, broadcaster, and journalist Dan Wooding, the founder of Assist Ministries and the Assist News Service. Dan, who was born in Nigeria of British missionary parents, was raised in England and later worked for some of Great Britain's largest newspapers. He has been a journalist covering the world for some 47 years now with a focus on persecuted Christians and missions. And now, here's Dan Wooding with today's guest. Welcome to this week's Front Page Radio, and once again I'm delighted to be speaking to you from my new home in North Wales in the United Kingdom. And my special guest is once again my son Peter, who has just made his 15th trip to Ukraine. So Peter, thank you for being on the program. Thanks for having me. Now, Pete, you started these trips to Ukraine after something unusual happened to you in Russia. You got banned. Tell us what happened. So it was about 13, 14 years ago. I took a team as part of Assist Europe back then to Beslan in Russia. If people remember the school massacre that happened in Bezan when Chechen rebels took over this school. So I really felt to take a team on the first anniversary of this terrible tragedy to go and comfort the people there, minister to them. But I was also there as a journalist and uh, we got interrogated by the secret police and uh, I had my passport taken away from me. It was on their records. When I tried to get a visa to go back the following year, they refused my visa. So I'm proud to say I was blacklisted and banned <laughs> from Russia. But because of that, I was looking for another place to uh, minister to as part of Assist Europe. We both went to a missions conference in Warsaw in Poland. And you introduced me to an amazing uh, mission leader called Jeff Thompson, uh, who at the time was leading a, a group called Eastern European Outreach, is now called Mercy Projects. And he told me all about this special needs center that they wanted teams to go and visit in Konotop in Ukraine. So that was in 2007. Then in 2008, I made my very first trip to Ukraine where I took a team from my church in Chester to run a summer camp at this special needs center called Hearts of Love. And I guess the rest is history, as I've just completed, as you said earlier, my 15th trip to Ukraine. <laughs> now, this time you went to um, cover a camp, a winter camp. I can imagine anything more freezing than a winter camp in Ukraine. But you went there to uh, cover this camp and and to also work with uh, some Christians from the U.S. First of all, tell us about the winter camp. This is part of uh, Mercy Project's ongoing ministry as they sponsor families. Part of that sponsorship includes sending young people, uh, children, teenagers to both winter camps and summer camps. And the winter camps are very special because they happen around the time of their Orthodox Christmas. And it's a beautiful campsite, uh, cabins in the middle of the forest, very thick snow everywhere, Christmas celebrations. But what makes it even more special is that these children get to hear the true meaning of Christmas. There's a wonderful balance uh, and during my time there of incredible fun. They have a blast uh, watching movies, playing games, uh, making crafts, playing in the snow, sledging. But there's a really good spiritual aspect to it where they have Bible teaching and they split into small groups to discuss what they've learned that day. They can ask any questions they want. And on the penultimate evening there, we had this incredible worship time. 
And when they invited young people to go to the back of the room to ask for prayer for various issues, dozens of them were going back and praying with the counsellors. The other special thing is I interviewed some of the young people and the counsellors, and it really has a long-term impact because many of the counsellors that come back and help lead the camps were children 10 years ago, and uh, they were so impacted by coming on the camp. They come to know Jesus, they're discipled, they go into ministry, they want to come and give something back. And the first day I was there, I always think I'm a middle-aged, middle-class English guy. How can I relate to Ukrainian teenagers and this girl immediately uh, recognized me. Her name's Margot Sitenko. She said, you were on the winter camp nine years ago. I remember you. I was a little child, and now I'm back as a counselor. She leads worship in a church. She was our translator through the camp. So it's wonderful when you see, you know, I've been going to these camps for 10 years. They really leave quite a legacy with this next generation of Ukrainian Christians, particularly in such a turbulent time in the country. Now, you mentioned something about Christmas. Uh, Many people in the U.S. and uh, in other countries won't realize that the Orthodox Church in Ukraine and in Russia as well, they have a different Christmas to us. Tell us about that. So they actually are really blessed because they celebrate both Christmases now, which I got to do as well. So they do uh, celebrate the traditional Christmas, December 25th, but for many years they've also celebrated the Orthodox Christmas, which happens on January the 7th. So it's weird because uh, my family was just taking down the Christmas decorations as I as I left to fly to Kiev. While there, the Christmas decorations are still up. You hear Christmas music everywhere. And in Kiev, we went to uh, Saint Sophia Square with big Christmas lights everywhere, everyone celebrating. Uh, So it's like a nice extended Christmas. But you also covered a bit of history while you were there in Kiev because there's been a big split between the Russian Orthodox Church and the uh, Ukrainian Orthodox Church. You actually went in and saw what was going on, but you also interviewed someone in the square about this. It was remarkable timing that we'd come back from the camp. We had a free afternoon in Kiev, so our translator, Zhenya, um, took us around Kiev and specifically wanted us take, to take us to St. Sophia's Square, having no idea that we would see history in the making because as we walked around this square with all these Christmas celebrations, she said, I don't believe it. There's hundreds of people lining up to go into St. Sophia's uh, Cathedral to see this official certificate that had just been signed um, to commemorate uh, Ukraine's breaking away from the Russian Orthodox Church. This is something they've waited for for 300 years and there was such an exciting atmosphere, not just for the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, but for Ukrainians as a whole to have this new independence, this historic moment. So we we saw the line, I filmed that, and then we went to the other end of the square where there was another cathedral and we filmed uh, outside there. We posted it on CBN News, Facebook, and on the Global News Alliance as I interviewed Zhenyard, who's an evangelical Christian who was just so excited and talked about the significance of this uh, wonderful moment. Now, besides that, you then go on a long train journey uh, all the way to the almost to the war front and you go and visit some prisoners. Tell us about the visit to the prison. 
This was incredible. It was my third trip to East Ukraine, uh, where I've mostly been into the war zone and reported on the ministry to the soldiers there, to the communities. And we did pass very close to that area. We could hear gunshots going off in the distance. There are still checkpoints there. And, um, but going into the prisons was a new experience for me. I'd never quite seen anything like it. It's a bit like you'd imagine going into an old Russian gulag and the fact that it's winter it was really uh, freezing about minus eight that day and there was icy pavements everywhere and we had to walk through this big courtyard and then we entered this chapel in the prison and um, the men just look you can just tell by their faces they've lived hardened lives um, that this, the first prison we went to was a low security prison, so they would be there for stealing, for drugs, stealing drugs. But the second prison we went to was a medium security prison where they could be there for murder. And uh, you could see their faces just look so hardened. And um, I had the privilege, along with my uh, other colleagues from the States, Zach from Mercy Projects in California, and Tom, who is from uh, uh, Arizona, and uh, he is a retired firefighter, but he's a sponsor of Mercy Projects. And each of us got to preach the gospel in this prison. And they were just so open, so attentive. We sang worship with them. And then it was this incredible moment afterwards where we were with the pastor, Sergei Kosmenko, who runs the prison ministry there, uh, who I later found out had been to that prison as a prisoner himself, or so got saved while in prison led five men to Christ, two in the first prison, three in the second prison. And to actually see that, and I was actually allowed to film, uh, was an incredible moment in such a harsh place to see the, the gospel break through. What did you actually say when you were preaching? Well, um, Zach and Tom were the spiritual ones. They spoke from the Bible and gave a good in-depth Bible study. And I thought, well, I'll have a bit of fun, but use the analogy of football to get a gospel message across. So I'm and, and this is soccer, soccer, by the way. Yes, English Premier League soccer. I'm a Liverpool supporter. So in the first prison we went to, I showed them my Liverpool hat, my woolen hat. And I actually gave it away to one of the prisoners. So I joked with them about how we get so excited at soccer stadiums when we go to see our team. And yet these famous footballers that we worship will let us down. But I said, Jesus will never let us down. And then I quoted from Romans chapter 8 about how nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So mine was just a brief testimony, but I just thought it would give, give them a bit of fun. Now, you didn't go to the war zone this time, but you've been on previous occasions. First of all, what is this war all about? And secondly, what is the ministry that's going on with the soldiers? So as far as I understand, I'm not a, a war expert, but in 2014, Russian separatists managed to take control of Donetsk, one of the main towns in eastern Ukraine, right on the border. And that escalated over the next four and a half years of a war between Ukrainians uh, trying to protect their border and Russian separatists. And because we don't hear about it in the news, sadly, people think it's all over. But it's still going on today, not quite as the intensity as it was four and a half years ago, where many were being killed every night. And in the last two years when I've been there, they have told me soldiers get killed every night. On this occasion, they said 
there is still shooting almost every day but not as many fatalities and it's almost like a country that's war weary now they have no idea when it could end it could be 20 years 10 years and so they're very demoralized but through all of that i've had the privilege of meeting four amazing heroes of the faith i would describe them at one of them is sergey kosmenko who was uh, a refugee, who is a refugee. He and his wife had a church in Donetsk and had to flee the area, flee their home, flee their church, and are living in an apartment now in a place called Dobropilie. And uh, I hope I pronounced that right. Any Ukrainians listening? And so he's carried on going back to these areas that he can go to, driving in there and taking food, taking equipment for the soldiers. And then his pastor, Pastor Vadim from Word of Life Church in Dobropilie, um, has helped plant churches into some of these needy areas. So those are two of the heroes of the faith. And then the first time I went, we wanted to interview a soldier, and we discovered that a member of uh, Pastor Vadim's church, Igor, was right at the checkpoint and I got to interview him about what it was like to be a Christian soldier standing out for his faith, fearing for his life and how his faith helps him through all that. But it was bizarre because he didn't want his identity to be revealed. So I interviewed him while he wore a ski mask. So that was unusual. And I got to see him again on this last visit and he's at home now, but he said he's waiting um to if he's ever needed to go back so those are three of them the fourth one has the most remarkable story who i just met on my last visit try to remember his name but he is a unhcr paramedic volunteer we interviewed him in his church where he has a small office and at the peak of the fighting he was risking his life driving an ambulance right into the war zone and rescuing people that were injured and getting them to hospital and twice he said he was arrested by Russian separatists. He had a Bible in his ambulance and he was accused of being an American spy of all things. And on the second occasion, he was uh, told he would have to stay in a prison cell for six weeks. I don't know quite how he escaped, but he said it was basically like Paul in the Acts of the Apostles. He miraculously escaped. And all four of these men are just so humble. They're just normal guys like you and me. And yet out of such a terrible dark situation this sort of army this uh, this sort of salvation army of christians have emerged if people want to know more about mercy projects where do they go pete so they go to mercyprojects.org and they can find out about how the charity supported the prison ministry uh how it supported um the ministry into the war zone as well as the camps and how people can sponsor families because that really has a huge impact long term in the individual ch children who get saved at camp then they share their faith with their brothers and sisters and with their parents so it's a it's a wonderful ministry now all this began at calvary chapel costa mesa on a saturday night at one of the concerts there I used to take you along and pray that you'd go forward at one of the one of the meetings and um, one Saturday night it happened. Can you describe uh, to the listeners what happened that actually transformed your life, Pete? Yes, we moved to California from London and both myself and my brother always believed in God. We grew up in a church but had never really understood what it meant to accept Jesus into your life. And you started taking me to these wild Saturday night rock concerts at Calvary Costa Mesa. And um, after six months 
Uh, if people can remember a preacher called Randy Ziegler, he just seemed to give such a clear gospel message that for the first time the penny dropped. I knew I had to do something about it. It wasn't just enough to believe that God existed, but to actually have a relationship with him, I had to uh, repent and ask Jesus into my life. And we all closed our eyes, and then uh, if people wanted to accept Christ, they raised their hand. And then afterwards, you said, did you do it? And I said, yes. <laughs> and you walked with me to the altar where I got down on my knees and uh, accepted Christ. So that was, uh, wow, that was October 1983. <laughs> and I wanted you to become a journalist like your dad. And um, you were going to Golden West College. Uh, but before that, you would actually were going to Westminster High School and uh, you got involved in journalism through both of those places. Tell us about that. Yes, yeah, so we, we lived in Orange for a while and then we moved to Garden Grove and I transferred to Westminster High School. But the biggest blessing that came out of moving schools was I was immediately promoted to the editor of the high school newspaper. I got an award and um, so then I decided to try and pursue a degree, Bachelor of Arts degree in journalism, uh, but sadly dropped out. But it's great God's sense of humor, God's grace that uh, I ended up going back into journalism despite uh, not getting a degree. I wouldn't encourage anyone to pursue journalism that route. It's good to get your degree, but by God's grace, I managed to carry on in journalism despite dropping out from Golden West College. And that happened by coming back to the UK and eventually getting a job with a newspaper in Chester. Yes, yeah, so along that route, going back to the UK, I actually came back to be a missionary with Youth with a Mission. And then when my wife got pregnant with our first daughter, who's now 24, I just felt God calling me back into journalism and never realized that God would use me over the next 20, 22 years as a media missionary, really, because I've reported on missions work as a journalist over the years. And again, the miracle was that I got a break on a local newspaper, the Chester Chronicle, as a sub-editor without any qualifications whatsoever. I think I just talked my way into the job. And then went from that uh, after a year into uh, the first ever national Christian radio station in the UK, United Christian Broadcasters. And for the next 11 years, I was their news editor. But what was so extraordinary was Russia came into the equation again and you actually helped to launch UCB onto what was a Radio Moscow transmitter. Yeah, that was incredible to think that I would get banned from Russia, that God would use a Russian transmitter to allow us to get on air. And that was what enabled me to start the news team. So it was incredible that we were given this transmitter that had been used to propagate Russian propaganda now was broadcast in the gospel across the UK. It would come on for some reason from three in the afternoon till midnight. So I would do the news every hour from three till midnight. Now, what was so bizarre about this was that you couldn't at the time get a license to broadcast the um, the gospel to Britain via a British transmitter. So you were able to hire this transmitter in Russia yeah. that bounced the message back. 
Yeah, and that took me on a journey the next 11 years where I said about being a media missionary that I had the privilege and opportunity to travel the world uh, reporting for UCB radio. And that was what led me to get banned from Russia because I was doing reports throughout that trip for UCB. But I got to go to Israel, to New Zealand, to Africa several times and then started this journey of ministering in Ukraine. Now, you also uh, are now involved with a group run by Stan Jeter, a dear friend of ours that started Christian World News. What, what is this group and what, what do they do? So Stan, as you say, founded uh, CBN News' Christian World News program. So we've known each other for several years and we'd always gather at a Christian broadcasting event called the NRB Convention. Most years it's in Nashville. This year it's just up the road from Costa Mesa in Anaheim if anyone wants to come along and say hi. And every year at this conference, we would meet uh, as a group of journalists and we were under the banner of the Global News Alliance. And really back then it was a dream that we could uh, pull together journalists from around the world to get the God stories out that no one hears about. And then two years ago, Stan finally had the funding to hire me as their first correspondent for Europe. So I'm now the European Bureau Chief of the Global News Alliance and going all across Europe and working with different ministries to get stories out about what God is doing around the world. Like I say, it's no, it's a fake news free zone. <laughs> uh, it's all real news uh, about a real God. And so you have been covering what? You've been covering all sorts of terrorist activity and stuff like that in London? Yes. Yeah, so year before last, we had three back-to-back -back terrorist attacks, and I was able to be in London on the ground, primarily reporting on what Christian ministries were doing, like the Billy Graham Rapid Response Team and Samaritan's Purse, who were ministering to people right on the spot where these terrorist attacks happened, on London Bridge, on Westminster Bridge. And then in Manchester, if people remember the terrible attack at the Manchester Arena during the Ariana Grande uh, concert, and there was this square where people left flowers and the Billy Graham Rapid Response Team chaplains were there to minister pe to people. And so I was able to interview them and uh, see them in action. Now, what you've done, Pete, is you've taken your dad's journalism and made it more accessible in a way because you have learned how to use video. And so you will not only interview people, but you'll put the whole thing together. And uh, we've also started a little uh, TV program together called Windows on the World on the Holy Spirit Broadcasting Network uh, in Orange. But what a privilege to be able to work together. What is the biggest lesson, Pete, you would say God has taught you over all these years? I would say two, really. One is stay humble. Uh, when I see myself on CBN News, it blows my mind and the, the reach of CBN News that people in places as far as the Lebanon, the Caribbean, uh, Russia. I met a guy recently in Kiev who said, I remember you because I used to translate your CBN News reports into Russian. <laughs> and so you could kind of get a bit above yourself when you see that people recognize you as a journalist. Uh, and I think it's to stay humble. Uh, you know, that we're only here by God's grace. And the other thing is to always be teachable. Being a video journalist is just a, a long-term learning curve to get filming journal, video journalism right, because technically there's so many 
challenges to get it correct. Um, so I guess those were the two lessons. And the other thing is really to utilize this incredible technology that we have today. I never would have dreamed when I was news editor at my high school newspaper where we literally used a knife to cut and paste the newspaper, literally <laughs> was cutting and pasting, that today I could use a smartphone and do Facebook Live on CBN News, which now has 962,000 followers. I could just film anywhere around the world interview these amazing people just on a smartphone uh, and utilize that te te technology. It's an exciting time. If somebody's listening to this, Pete, that they feel they'd like to get into journalism, either print journalism or video journalism, what would you say? Definitely get a degree. Don't drop out like I did. Get the right qualifications. Get as much hands-on experience as you can. And also uh, learn every aspect of it. I think what's blessed me, I've been a freelance journalist for 10 years now, is what, what's helped is that I've done print journalism, radio, video, digital. I've done a bit of everything. And these days, news teams are really scaled back where you have to be uh, very multi, able to multitask where you can operate a camera, you can present, you can interview, you can do audio, lighting, editing. You really need to learn as many facets of journalism as possible. And finally, to your friends back in Southern California, that you, you'll be seeing some of them quite soon. And when you come to the NRB, what's your message to them, particularly those that still maybe haven't accepted the Lord? I'd say thanks for some wonderful memories growing up in Southern California. And uh, I think we've been we've stayed bonded and uh, in great friendship for 30 years at least. Uh, but I really pray that uh, you will get to know the Jesus that I've come to know. Peter Wooding, if people want to make contact with you, uh, how do they do it? They could drop me an email, peter at gna.news. Peter, thank you so much. Thank you. You have been listening to Front Page Radio with international journalist Dan Wooding. If you would like a free subscription to the Assist News Service, log on to www.assistnews.net. And if you would like to write to Dan, send an email to assistnews at aol.com. Tune in again for another edition of Front Page Radio on this same station.